You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Hello, Merry Christmas. So glad you guys are here. Welcome to The Devoted Podcast. It's definitely Christmas season, isn't it? I'm recording this the first week of December, but I'm pretty sure this is dropping just next week. So we are definitely in the throes of Christmas and all of the busy and all of the fun. And I'm sure I'm not alone. And we tell ourselves every year that we're going to do less things so that we can enjoy more of the things that we do decide to say yes to, but, you know, say some no's where we need to. But then it never fails. You hit like the second week or maybe you lasted as long as the third week without the manic hitting you. And it just feels like we've said yes to all kinds of really, really good things, but it gets to be so, so busy. So hopefully we're able to make good, wise, discerning decisions with our time and and just enjoy a ton, a ton of family time and time with whether that's your family at home, your church family, wherever family is. I love that about this time of year for sure. Maybe it's because this year time of year does get so busy, but I've also just kind of been wanting to do an episode on this regardless. So I know this is coming out at Christmas time, but you know what, if you're in February or March or April and listening to this, I hope that it packs just as much meaning and application for you as it does for us in the December season where everything's busy, everything's crazy. But also the things I'm going to talk about today might feel like, wow, this is the last time of year, or this is the time of year that I definitely don't have time to think about, to talk about the things that you're bringing up today. But it's probably when we need it most. It's probably when we need these reminders most. So what I want to look at today is what we mean by meditation in Scripture. Now, this is a word that has had all kinds of things done to it in the last, I don't know, 60, 80 years or so with the New Age movement and the things that the world says that meditation is. So we'll talk about that in a second. But there is an actual, real and important term of meditation that is biblical and is really, really important. And I think it's actually very much neglected by us as Christians as a whole. And I think it's something that we we all could do better at. I know even as I was studying this and as I was looking at these scriptures, there were so many things that it actually just got me so excited to take this particular thing about scripture, this, this thing that, that the word speaks about often, And take this really seriously, really measure how am I doing on this? So we're going to have some, we're going to do a little check in here on how we're doing and maybe even how we have maybe not defined meditation correctly and what that really should look like. Now, since it is Christmas, I thought I would go ahead and just start with a Christmas passage that introduces us to this concept a little bit, certainly not the first time that it shows up in the Bible, but When we see very early on in the book of Luke, when it's talking about the angels that appear to the shepherds and they come and they, you know, freak the shepherds out. And then the shepherds, they decide that they're going to go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, it tells us in, in Luke chapter two. And then as you read that in verse 16 of chapter two, it says, and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But then here's where 
it comes in with what we're talking about today. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Mary, we talked about her, I think, in the bonus episode I did last year. We talked about Mary as well, and I specifically focused on her obedience. The Mary, the mother of Jesus, is an amazing woman in Scripture to study. And I, I feel sometimes that as evangelicals, we sometimes don't study these pieces of Mary that are really noteworthy. One here that she is someone that treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. We're going to take a look at what that looks like, but also just her obedience. You know, the the fact that she was told by an angel that she was going to have a child. She was extremely young and her response is just flat out obedience. I mean, that is stunning. And the reason I th- say that sometimes I think the evangelical church has not maybe studied these pieces of, of Mary and, and maybe even applied some of these things to us as we should is because the Catholic church has actually gone way over the top with Mary. And there are Catholics that pray to Mary and they've upheld her to a standard that I am quite certain when we see Mary in heaven someday, she is going to be just appalled that this that she wanted to point to Jesus. Remember her last recorded words actually in scripture, I love this, is she says, do whatever he tells you to. And it's in conjunction to a, a miracle. And she's she's referring to the servants that are standing around. But I love that that is her last words in scripture. Do whatever he tells you to. And who is the he? The he is Jesus. She wanted us to hear the words of Jesus. And I love that about her. Here in this passage in Luke 2, when she says that that she's seeing all of these things that are going on, and it says that she treasured up all these things and she pondered them in her heart. So I want to just take these words a little bit. I'm not going to even attempt to try to say what the Greek words of this, but I looked up, kind of dug into the word first treasured, because we also see it later in the same chapter in verse 51, after Jesus goes to the temple. And remember, he kind of wanders off from his parents and he is there in the temple teaching and discussing things with the leaders there in the temple. And Mary and Joseph, they don't know where he is. They go find him. They come back. And then In verse 51, it says, and he went down with them, Jesus, and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. That's Jesus. And then his mother, Mary, treasured up all these things in her heart. And we see that word again, treasured. So what does scripture mean when it says this word? And when you dig into this word, there's a lot of things, but the treasure up in your heart, there is, it can mean preserve or keeping, but it's something that you're guarding, keeping it within your heart. You're you're mentally making note of this and you're hanging on to it. You're hanging on to it. You know, for us, the word treasured, we think of something that we would have great value to, we would give great value to, right? We would, we want the things that we treasure. We hold those things closely. And that's what it says Mary is doing with what she's seeing, with the things that she is experiencing here with Jesus in this time. And it says that she treasures up these things in her heart. And likewise, she did this early in Luke 2 when it says, when she here sees the shepherds come and she's seeing all these things, she's holding the infant Jesus. And it says she treasures up these things and ponders them in her heart. So we have the word treasure there, meaning just to keep it and really hold that close and but mentally so. 
And then we also see this word ponder and, and what that word means. So ponder is more closely linked to the word meditation. It says to meditate, to reflect deeply on a subject. And if you kind of break that word out, you get to its root word, you get to all of the things that it means within this root word for meditate, you see words like to consider, you know, to ponder or weigh on, to compare something, but to really think through something seriously. Even sometimes they take it to out to debating something, you know, really conversing back and forth with something. But it's to think, to reason, to really roll it over in your brain. And and that's that's this Greek word that we see there. Now in the Hebrew, when we see the word meditate in scripture, it gives even some other words to this definition. It'll say to coo or to mutter, to read in an undertone, to speak, proclaim. All of those words are included in the word ponder or meditate. And we see this concept of meditation. We see it in the New Testament using words like ponder and treasure, things like that. We also see it, though, in the Old Testament a ton, you know, Psalm 119.97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Psalm 1 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Psalm 119 15, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. So we see this word often. So what do we mean by meditation, biblical meditation? What does this really look like? I like this quote from J.I. Packer, and he said this about meditation. He said, meditation is the activity of calling to mind and thinking over and dwelling on and applying to oneself the various thing that one knows about the works and ways and purposes and promises of God. It is an activity of holy thought consciously performed in the presence of God under the eye of God by the help of God as a means of communion with God. Now, I I understand there's a whole bunch in there. You're probably going, man, I probably need you to read that five more times for me to get all of the things that he's saying that meditation is. But a couple things I want to pull out of that, because did you notice that it says that it's, it's actually an activity? There is a action here, a calling to mind, a thinking on dwelling, applying. Now, I probably should have paused there before I got to the applying because there is the the thinking, the dwelling, the calling to mind, all of those really important. And then there's also this application piece that is to meditation. So when we look at our just other dictionaries, my favorite in Webster 1828, it says to dwell on anything in thought, to contemplate, to study, to turn or evolve any subject in the mind. I like this picture. Okay, our pastor, Pastor Brett, talks about this one a lot when you think about something that you read in scripture and the idea of meditating on it is that you're taking that thing and you're kind of rolling it over in your brain. You know how if you're in a store and you are contemplating buying something and you pick it up and you kind of look at it from every angle, you hold it up. You know, you turn it to one side and kind of look at it that way, and then you turn it around, and then you might set it back on the shelf and kind of look at it, or you might step back and, you know, look at it again. But that that's the idea. You're you're looking at something from all, all these different angles. You know, you're really thinking about it. You're really contemplating. You're revolving it over in your mind. Now, we need to do some contrasting here. Because a lot of you guys, when you hear the word meditation, you think of some stuff that has nothing to do with the psalm that I read, right? Or has nothing to do with what Mary is thinking. You're thinking of, you know, a a nice calming 
kind of dimly lit with some maybe some candles and some weird crystal things going on yoga studio and where it's it's just calm and and you know everyone's breathing is all a certain way okay because that's what we think of these days when we hear the word meditation which is kind of unfortunate but it's a legit like that is something that people are practicing so we need to understand that that is something but we're going to talk about that is something that I think we need to be very careful with and avoid because if you look at the Cambridge dictionary so our modern dictionary when it defines meditation it says to think calm thoughts in order to relax or as a religious activity so that's its primary definition. It does add in there to think seriously about something for a long time, which could be consistent possibly with both things of meditation that we're talking about. But here is the contrast, because when we think of that dimly lit yoga studio, everybody breathing just a certain way and all of that, and they tell you to focus on your breath and they tell you to, if you've ever been in one, because I have, I had no idea what, what yoga was. And I'm actually, I'm not going into that. I've actually been asked before, hey, what do you think about yoga? And is this okay? And is this good? I've listened to some podcasts where I've heard Christians come down pretty hardcore that it should be something be, to be completely avoided. And then I've heard other Christians that say, you know what, I see what they're saying, but if you're thinking of it more as just the exercise itself and the stretching and doing all of those things, then then that's probably okay. But I do think there is some discernment that needs to be used here, gals, because typically how meditation or how yoga is presented is with this combining of the meditation. And the meditation they're talking about is not biblical meditation, like not even close. In fact, it's kind of the opposite. Usually what they are telling you to do is that you need to empty your mind. It means to mindlessly, you know, sitting quietly with an empty mind, just just empty your mind, empty your thoughts, all of these things. And then maybe sometimes they might give you a word or a phrase that you're supposed to chant over and over. So you can you can kind of see these borrowings, perhaps, of what real meditation was supposed to be. Because while I don't think we're supposed to be chanting anything or anything like that, we should be taking scripture and, like I said, revolving it, mulling it over in our brain, uh, re- rehearsing that in our mind, memorizing it even. So there's there's pieces of that that you can see. But what they're talking about with meditation is to empty your mind. Biblical meditation, by contrast, is actually filling your mind, filling your mind with what God's word says. That is biblical meditation. And that's something we should be all about. It's biblical. It's an wonderful practice for us as Christians. And I think, in, in fact, that if we're not doing that, I would say that we're probably poorer for that as Christians. So it's very important for us as Christians to have to understand what it means to biblically meditate on God's word. But it is a filling of your mind with what his word says. It is not sitting somewhere connecting with your third eye of understanding and being silent and emptying your mind of everything. That is not what it is. So I'm just going to read a couple more of these these scriptures that continue to say this word. And you tell me if you think that this sounds like your yoga studio, right? Psalm 104, 34, may my meditation be pleasing to him for I rejoice in the Lord. Psalm 63, 6, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. I love that one reminding us that even when we're laying in our beds, 
we want those last thoughts before we drift off to sleep to be the meditation of what God's word says. And what a wonderful way, what a wonderful practice and a habit for us to get into is rehearsing scripture that we are even studying right before we go to sleep or when you wake up in the middle of the night. Man, instead of, you know, worrying about all the things that you're not supposed to be or that you're supposed to be doing the next day or maybe things you're not supposed to be doing, I don't know. But instead, using that time to meditate on God's word. I love that. Other scriptures, Psalm 19, verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I could go on and on because there's a lot of different scriptures about meditating on God's word. But did you also hear there's a common thread on there on the things that are pleasing in God's sight? That's always a great litmus test. Is the thing that I am doing, whether you be discerning Christian, that yoga studio you go to, the, the instructor and the way that they're leading it and all of those things, is that pleasing to the Lord? You decide that. I'm not in that. But there are things that we should be discerning. And that's a great little phrase right there. Is this pleasing in God's sight? Last week when I talked about the music we listened to, when I mentioned Taylor Swift, okay, I did a lot more than mention her. I know. But I know that's unpopular to think about our music, the movies, whatever we're reading, watching, what we're taking in with our eyes. Are we being discerning with that? And are we saying, is this acceptable in the Lord's sight. So it's just a great, great litmus test of something that are very practical, our day to day. So meditation is not mindlessly or biblical meditation is not mindlessly sitting somewhere and emptying yourself of your thoughts and all of those things. In fact, I'm going to get you to hopefully realize that it's actually the opposite. And when I said earlier in those scriptures that there's actually an action that's taking place, you know, contrary to the the meditation that is so new age and all of those things, this one, it, it's a verb. It's it's to even in some of the different definitions that I looked up, this biblical definitions that they give it, it's a verb to meditate, meaning speak enthusiastically, praise, lament, instruct, teach, meditate with thanks and praise. All of those are all connected with that word meditate, with the verb ponder, you know, to reflect deeply. So I think those are important things for us to realize how one looks quite different than the other. Now, one of the consistent things that we may see between the New Age and transcendental meditation and biblical meditation is quietness. Because sometimes, yes, we should be quiet. This is crazy news for our world today, right? It's real tough to be quiet. Psalm 4.4 says, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Be silent. Sometimes we need to just be quiet before the Lord in our biblical meditation. That is a way in which that we can meditate on who the Lord is just by our being quiet and not doing so much talking at him, but listening. I caught this devotional. It was in my Spurgeon devotional, I think. I want to say this was from Besides Still Waters, which I love that one. But he said this, he said, these busy days leave little time for meditation, yet there is no exercise more nourishing to faith, love, and grace. A transient thought of God may greatly bless, just as a touch of the Savior's garment healed a woman in Matthew 9, 21 through 22. When we meditate, we lean on his embrace and enjoy the full fellowship of his love. 
David said, I remember you on my bed. I meditate on you in the watches of the night, Psalm 63, 6. Oh, for more meditation, Spurgeon continues. It would mean more grace and more joy. May you and I find pleasure in our sleepless hours and enter into close fellowship with him through heavenly meditation. I think that's a great encouragement for us as we think about being quiet. There is some quietness to that. And like I said, it might be in those sleepless nights. It might be when you wake up at 3 a.m. for no particular reason. Meditating on scripture, meditating on who God is, spending time with the Lord. It's not a, that is not wasted hours, actually, that you're not getting sleep. That is, could be a really rich time with the Lord. Bit of a perspective switch for us, maybe. So I came across a book that a friend had recommended. And at the time I thought, my goodness, I don't, I don't know. This doesn't look very interesting to me. But I'm telling you what, this was a great book. So if this this idea of biblical meditation and what that really should look like, if this interests you, which I'm just going to say, even if it doesn't like fascinate you, like I got really interested in this book, it should, as a Christian, this is something that we need to take seriously because it's in the Bible, right? And if the Bible tells us that we are to be meditating on his word day and night, well, then we need to know what that looks like, okay? But If you wanted to do a little deeper reading on this, there is a book called God's Battle Plan for the Mind, The Puritan Practice of Biblical Meditation. It's a book by David Saxton, whom I don't know much about as an author. But this author in this book spent, I I can't even imagine, because there are so many Puritan theologians, preachers, writers back in the Puritan times that are quoted in this book. I mean, it is is basically a book just of quotes almost of the Puritan preachers of way back in the day. Puritans, really, really, really big into biblical meditation. I did not know this. So, but I learned some things and I am going to share some quotes from this book. I will put the book in the show notes, too, so you guys can go back and in case you are interested. It's on Amazon. I got it on my Kindle and highlighted it all up like crazy, but great source for some of this. And one of the things that I learned from this is that there is kind of some distinction that needs to be made as well with the Roman Catholic mysticism and some of the things that are more common in the in the Catholic Church. So, for example, if you've heard the term contemplative prayer, that is a Catholic tradition. That's kind of where that came from. Now, in this book, he quotes, he says, he says that Catholic mysticism, contemplative prayer is an unbiblical form of meditation that seeks a spiritual experience through some kind of existential encounter with God apart from his written revelation. So contemplative prayer is probably an entire other episode because actually it's kind of shocking to me that that is something that is really kind of hitting mainstream in the church. If you are part of a church or listening to someone that is talking a lot about contemplative prayer, or maybe I'm going to even really throw a grenade out there and say spiritual formation, okay? I get a little red flaggy about these words that are not in scripture. Spiritual formation is not something that is in the Bible. And actually, if you research it a lot, it definitely has a lot of roots in the Catholic tradition. So, Again, that's kind of a caveat for another date, but those are things that should be a little bit of a flag. Spiritual formation, definitely contemplative prayer. That's an unbiblical form of meditation. And so when I say biblical meditation, don't conflate those two terms because that's not what we're talking about here. So it seems like I'm, I'm conflating all of these time periods, right? I just mentioned to you that the Puritans were all about biblical meditation. 
And it, it seems like from their writings, they were constantly within their own personal devotion time with the Lord, the things that they actively talked about with their families, the things that they talked about from their pulpits. I mean, it was almost just implied that everybody understood that this was part of your daily experience with the Lord was biblical meditation. Well, fast forward then, we get to the 1960s, and there's this just this little tiny British rock group called the Beatles. You might have heard of them. And they are actually the ones that people kind of credit sort of bringing in the transcendental meditation movement in because they traveled to India and they accepted the Hindu teachings of this guy. I have no idea how to pronounce his whole name, last name Yogi, though. And they kind of adopted him as their spiritual guru. And his first name is Marahashi, I believe. And he was this founder and leader of the Transcendental Meditation Movement. So a lot of the things that we see today, the things that are widely used in the relaxation techniques and allowing your mind to, you know, settle inward and all of these things that we talked about with the yoga. And it all kind of stems from this idea of Transcendental Meditation from a Hindu tradition And it is very, very, very new age. And that's why I do think we should be guarded about not just blindly going into a yoga studio because we're like, oh, it's cool. It's just about the stretching for me. Be discerning about that. Be prayerful about that. Because those are places that there's a lot of people in there that are not in there just for the stretching. And it could be kind of a spiritually dark thing to actually participate in. So just be discerning about that. Like we talked about at the beginning, you know, we have such a hurried life and everything seems busy, busy, busy. And so we sometimes crave a little bit and we seek the quiet and stillness that we know that our body is saying we need. We were not designed to go at, you know, 80 miles an hour all the time. But erroneously, we turn to more of a godless form of meditation through these new age and transcendental meditation techniques and contemplative prayer and some of these things that are out there instead of turning towards a biblical understanding of what meditation means according to the Bible. So we should be careful in how we are seeking, are we seeking to be more like the world in this or are we seeking to be more like what Christ would have us be? Ephesians 4, 17 through 24 says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I had never thought of this passage, that's Ephesians 4, 17 through 24, through this lens of contrasting more of a worldly, new age, nonsense meditation that man, some people are really, really wrapped up in and what that really looks like. And it really kind of is kind of dark, just like that yoga studio is just a little bit dark. (laughs) It actually is a little bit dark, even spiritually speaking. And here in Ephesians 4, it's saying they are darkened in their understanding, 
alienated from the life of God. And I think that is such a, a just a poignant way of saying that because seeking anything apart from the Lord, whether it's seeking to get some relaxation, whether it's seeking any pursuit that we may have apart from the Lord, if we are alienated from the life of God, man, we are in ignorance. And and if we think that that's all right, we are like what Ephesians says here, and we get a hardness of heart saying, nope, it's this way. This is the way we should do it. But that's an alienated life from God. So there is this word from Paul here to the Ephesians that all of those things should be put off. That's the old self. And instead, putting on the new self where there's this renewing of the spirit of your minds. Now, did you notice it saying the mind there? right? All the transcendental meditation stuff, it's telling you you need to empty your mind and all of that kind of stuff. Nope. Romans 12 tells us what? It says to renew our minds, right? So the mind is not to be chucked here in this whole idea of biblical meditation. In fact, it's very active because it's meditating, it's mulling on, it's seriously considering and reasoning through the things of scripture, God's word to us. Joshua 1.8 says, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will give good success. What a fantastic verse. It tells us even the blessing that comes from meditating day and night on what God's word says. Because if we meditate on it, we're seriously thinking about it, we're understanding it, we're looking to God's word, we're praying through it, then it says you'll be careful to do all that's written in it. It's real tough to do something if you don't know it to start with. If you if you don't have the instruction booklet and you just go for it, if you see this amazing cake and you're like, I'm going to make that cake, but you have no idea what the recipe says, it's probably not going to turn out real good. You might get a few things right in it, but overall, you're probably not going to make it exactly like it looked on that Pinterest cover if you don't read the instructions. We have to know what God's word says so that we can be careful to do what it says. And then it says, your way will be prosperous and you will have good success. Now, that is not a prosperity gospel, name it and claim it kind of thing. This is looking at God's word, knowing that as we seek to do as God desires of us, as we seek to be submitted to what his will is for us, it isn't that it's short of suffering or pain or we'll never have any hardship, but it does mean that we will be walking with the Lord. And that, while our world defines prosperous and good success in all kinds of different ways, truly walking with the Lord, even if it's in your absolute darkest day, that is blessing. It really is. So how do we practically do this? The book I read on biblical Puritan meditation, it kind of brought out a couple things for us to consider. And I think we would do this as well, just if we're considering when is the best time to do our quiet time. And I might suggest you might hear some of this stuff and you're like, oh, I totally do biblical meditation. I just didn't call it that. Maybe it is called your quiet time. Maybe it is called your private devotion time or your time with the Lord. All of those things, that's fantastic if you are using that time to meditate on what God's word says. Now, the reason I'm choosing to use the word biblical meditation or meditation here, as opposed to quiet time or devos or something like that, is because those can have kind of over time had a wide range of what that is. Okay. For some, their quiet time means sitting down and reading their daily reading, whatever their Bible plan says for the day, reading a request real quick, checking the box, and they're done. 
Other times, people's quiet time includes maybe journaling for a little bit and reading a scripture. That could be biblical meditation. But you see what I mean? That like there's there's a very definition of what is determined your devotion time or your quiet time. But it could be that as we talk about what this really looks like to practice biblical meditation, that might be exactly how you're spending your quiet time. And that's that's fantastic. So with the book I was reading, one of the things they talk about is you do have to determine, just like you would with your quiet time, when the best time of day is. You know, a lot of times and a lot of times in scripture, you see that the scripture seems to imply that early in the morning is a great time to seek the Lord, to get away and be able to spend time with the Lord. That is not everyone's jam. I was not always a morning person. The Lord kind of made me a morning person because I just woke up and couldn't sleep. So it seemed like the right thing to do. But there are some people that their brain's just not functioning until like 11 p.m. And that's when they kind of come alive. And that's their best time. So you have to figure out when your best time of day is because you want it to be when your mind can actively engage in something. You have to think about the best place for it. For some, it might be lunch hour in your car. It's real quiet in there. You know, you go in there and you can be in your car. That is your time to look at what we're talking about, biblical meditation. And maybe that's when you should do it. There's also an amount of time. Now, the Puritans, they would recommend an, an hour. That was kind of like, as they, and they had some biblical, some scriptures that they looked to as to why they came up with those times. Sometimes it was a half hour. Sometimes it was an hour. But they were giving it a, a set amount of time. And what the thing I think about that is I think that we just need to give it some time. I don't think it's super important to be legalistic about, oh, man, I got to set my watch for an hour and, you know, we're going to we're going to do this for a whole hour or we're going to do this for 30 minutes. I, I don't want to I don't think we need to impose like some legalistic things on there. But just like any relationship that you're in, you have to give it time. You have to spend time with the person that you're in relationship with. And and we are invited to have a relationship with Jesus. He wants to talk to us. He wants to have a relationship with us. And so, honestly, if I told you if you were married and I said, you have to speak with your husband for one hour every day, one hour, that's it. Now, some of you are like, okay, our life is so busy. I'm not even seeing him for an hour. But you get my point. You have to talk to the people that you are in relationship with. or Otherwise, that relationship is pretty shallow. It won't be a healthy relationship if you're not really spending time with that person. Often, the analogy that is made with biblical meditation versus just reading your Bible and moving on is they contrast it with fast food versus a seven course meal. You can read your Bible and you can glance over those scriptures real quick and be done. Check the box, right? Or seven course meal kind of takes some time, doesn't it? Going through each little word, maybe even, and mulling that word over. What does this mean? Lord, praying through those uh, those words as you go, but a length of time. So what they're stressing here with biblical meditation is that you commit some time to it, that it isn't something that you view as going through the drive through at McDonald's, but rather something that is something that you are going to spend some time with. And then, of course, with anything, the importance of consistency, Right. Being consistent is tough sometimes. It's tough to make something a habit. But we also know that that's when you actually see the fruit. If you commit to working out 
and you work out twice a month, you're probably not going to have nearly the results you're going to have if you work out three to five times a week, right? So consistency. It matters in just about everything, and it certainly matters in your relationship with the Lord that we are consistently setting aside time for this. Okay, so if you do all those things, you're figuring out the best time, figuring out the best place, the amount of time that you're going to spend, you're going to be consistent, the importance of the consistency, then what does actual biblical meditation look like? Now, I'm going to tell you guys these these steps a little bit. And again, many of you are going to be like, yeah, that is absolutely how I spend my quiet time with the Lord. And all I'm trying to do is just show us what that actual biblical meditation looks like. But for some, this might be new stuff for you. So think through these things. But the first thing that we want to do when it's for biblical meditation is pray. John 15, 5, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And apart from me, you can do nothing. That part, I mean, that includes meditating on God's word. Man, have you ever done that, right? Where you say, okay, and and we're approaching a new year where everyone's like, oh, yes, this is the year. I'm going to read through the entire Bible in a year. And we, we, you know, psych ourselves all up for it. And then we get to about week three and we've already skipped a day or something. That's when we're just trying to do stuff in our own flesh all the time. Apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus tells us. So it would make sense then that when we're going to be meditating on his word, that the very first thing we're going to do is just pray and ask the Lord to show us the wondrous words from his law. It tells us that in Psalm 119. Ask the Lord to show us. He's the one that wrote this. He is the one that gave us his inspired word. So include him in that. Then the next part in that is just choosing what scriptural thought from your Bible reading that you're going to meditate on? What are you going to spend your time of meditation on? And this, oh goodness, there's a host of things. Maybe this is just part of your Bible reading and you're reading through the Bible in a year and you read through that and then one scripture just kind of highlights to you and, and you decide to pray through and meditate on those words right there. But there are so many things. Maybe you're not on a Bible reading plan. That's not an excuse to not meditate on something of scripture. Here's a good one. Haggai 1.5 says, Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. What if you just meditated on your ways? Consider your ways. One of the Puritan authors said, Meditate on the horrible, heinous nature of sin. Boy, doesn't that sound like a fun one. But probably, gals, we probably don't meditate on our sin enough. We probably instead accept the lies of our of the world that say your sin's just really not that bad. It's not that horrible and dark and it's all it's really not it's okay. That's a lie. That is a lie. That is a lie. Our sin is horrible and it separates us from the Lord. Consider your ways. That's what Haggai would say right there. So maybe spend some time meditating on that. Psalm 119.59 says, I thought on my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. Take that one one verse and think about your ways. Think about the things that you have going today. What do those things look like? And how would the Lord have you turn your feet in a different direction, perhaps? Or maybe it's not something about your ways or sin. Maybe you choose to meditate on an attribute of God. One of the Dutch theologians, Brockle, he said, biblical meditation is an activity in which the soul is occupied in reflecting upon divine perfections approving them, delighting in them, and astonished and even quickened by them. Thinking about 
the things about our Lord. You know, Psalm 150 verse 1 says, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens, praise him for his mighty deeds, for his excellent greatness. I mean, the whole Psalm just goes on and on about the things that we can just kind of reflect and sit in his divine perfections. Psalm 136, man, read the whole thing. It goes on and on. It says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And then it repeats this line over and over, for his steadfast love endures forever. Meditate on what it means for the Lord's steadfast love to endure forever. For you, for your kids, for your husband, for your friends, for your coworkers. What does that mean for the steadfast love of the Lord to endure forever? That's what it means to to really take a scriptural thought, something biblical from what you were reading in, in the word and mull that over in your brain. And then the next step the Puritans would tell us is that then you need to examine yourself. Like that's the testing of ourselves. How are we doing with this? Lamentations 340 says, let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. After you spend that time meditating on something in God's word, then the time comes for you to examine yourself and say, man, how am I doing? Psalm 139 says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. We are to not just hear the word, like James says, but we are to be doers of the word. So that's that application part. Really check in how we are doing with this. But the graciousness of this, man, because it's easy to consider your ways, it's easy to test and examine and go, wow, I have fallen amazingly short. But don't forget the graciousness of our Lord. First John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it does not matter if you have blown it 50 times. His mercies are new every morning. We get to confess our sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us. The final piece that they would give us, and I'm following that biblical Puritan, biblical Puritan model is to conclude with personal application, resolution and prayer. So this is where you, you notice with this, we started with prayer and we end with prayer. And I love how First Chronicles 2019, it, it sort of wraps everything that we've been doing with the meditation up in a knot, you know, kind of tying it all together. But First Chronicles 29:18 says, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts towards you. What a sweet prayer to end and be able to say, Lord, direct my heart towards you. I love that. So why is this so important? I really do think this is way more important than we give it credence to. Because if we are just approaching our time with the Lord as checking a box, or maybe you're hearing some really awesome sermons at church, or maybe you're listening to some great podcasts and you're like, oh, that was great. And then it's just gone. Are you meditating on the scripture that is hopefully being contained in there. If you're if you're listening to a bunch of stuff that doesn't have God's word, then that doesn't do you good anyway. But how are we doing on actually taking the things that we're listening and then making it change us? Saxton in his book said this. He said, shallow Christianity has become the blight of the modern church. Success is no longer measured by Christian maturity and discernment. 
And then he says, godly meditation is the answer to this superficial religion. Meditation broadens the shoulders and deepens the experience of God's people. And I think he's really right about this because I do see that there is perhaps even a little bit of an epidemic of shallow Christianity, of maybe knowing a little bit of what the word says and maybe knowing partially, but not really knowing what it says, and then maybe not going to the level of obeying what it says. And so what we're left with is a very superficial, very cultural, very shallow Christianity. And what biblical meditation would do, truly meditating on God's word as the Bible instructs us to, would bring us to a place where the scripture is on our hearts and minds all the time. So that when we're making that decision, should I do this or should I do that? Should I listen to this song? Should I not? Conversations with our kids about the things that they should do, they should not. The truth of the word of God is going to just kind of overflow from the heart because it's become part of a broader and more disciplined and more mature Christian experience. It's not just checking a box, but it's actually spending time with the Lord and his word. So what can this look like for you? Maybe you'll need to think through this and maybe evaluate, maybe do a little testing of what does your own quiet time with the Lord look like? Does it need a little bit of a refresh? Maybe that's all it is. Or maybe you're like, I've never, ever done anything like what you're talking about. I don't even have time with the Lord. Don't feel weird, judged, or condemned about that. Just start reading God's word. Just start reading God's word and making it a practice and allow his word to really transform your mind. His word is is so rich, it will never, ever, ever disappoint you. And I guarantee you, the more you start reading his word, the more you will just love it. And you'll get to a place where you're like, I cannot get enough of it. And I know that sounds crazy, but I'm telling you, I'm just there. (laughs) I love the word so much. And I know other women that love the word so much. But again, if you're not there and you're like, I just am not really hearing this. I don't really don't think about, you know, 25 steps down the road. Think about right this next moment. You know, think about the next time that you're setting aside time with the Lord and approach him in prayer, asking him to just do a little renovation on what your own quiet time and what it looks like to really meditate on scripture. And he will do that. He will meet you in that. But it will take some discipline because, man, we are so distracted and our minds just wander so much. You want to do kind of a it's a little bit of a depressing test. And I've done this on myself. But try going online and reading some kind of informational article. Now, read it on something that you're interested in. But I'm not talking about a headline. I'm meaning like an actual what they would consider in journalism a long read, which means actually that's probably like 15 minutes, believe it or not. But give yourself a little quiz and see how long you can read before you are distracted or your mind wanders. I mean, when I did this, I was like really embarrassed (laughs) because we have such short attention spans. We're used to just reading the headlines and moving on. So sometimes it takes a little bit of working up to this. When you're working out, you have to work into something. Maybe if you ran five minutes today, maybe tomorrow you run seven before you walk, but you work up to it. I don't really know why I gave the running example because I do not run. But I'm just saying, we need to do better here. We need to go ahead and say, yep, I have a mind that the Lord gave me. I can meditate on God's word for 15 minutes. I can meditate on God's word for 20 minutes. We can do that. Now, again, 
like I said, we are always inviting the Lord into this. Don't try to just go, yep, I got this. No, we really don't. But the Lord will give us the strength to do exactly what he has asked us to do in his word. Another little kind of silly example, but sometimes I think we do feel like we just can't handle the silence. Have you ever been in your car and just not turned your music on? Just let it be quiet. Now, sometimes some of you I've talked to you are like, oh, I love it so much. But there's sometimes some of us that were like, oh, I just have to hear something all the time. It just can't be quiet. I would challenge you just sit in the quiet. Make yourself go from your house to the grocery store without turning anything on, without ever looking at your phone, just being quiet. If you've got kids in the car, have you ever played the quiet game with that? Every mom right now is going, are you kidding? Of course I have. But I'm telling you, this is actually, I think, a vital skill, teaching our kids that it's okay to be quiet, that silence is actually really, really important. So hopefully I've taken some of, I I don't want this to sound weird. This isn't weird. Biblical meditation is not a strange, like what we're talking about with the transcendental meditation stuff. Nope. Biblical meditation is just taking what we read in scripture and choosing to ponder, think seriously, roll it over in our minds, pray about it, seek application for it. That's what biblical meditation really is. And it's something that we as Christians should be doing all the time. Not just at Christmas time when we read that Mary pondered and treasured these things in her heart, but something that we're really making part of our everyday time with the Lord. One other quick thing I will add as I close, man, Merry Christmas. I hope that you guys have a great Christmas season. We will be off on the podcast for a few weeks, and I'm not totally sure of the date it comes back. So again, I'll just tell you to subscribe to the podcast so you get alerted when we come back. But I'll take a a little bit of a step back just so I can spend some family time, but also working on some other projects. So it is going to be a little bit tricky to get as many episodes recorded as I normally would. But gals, I am really trying to get to a place Lord willing, that we don't take breaks in the podcast and they just come weekly. So you can pray with me about that. I'm not quite there, but that is my goal. So until I can't believe I'm saying this, in 2023 will be the next time that there's a new devoted podcast. I just pray you have a blessed Christmas season and the rest of 2023. I really am praying that, man, gals, we just grab on to this idea of biblical meditation. What does the Lord want to say to you this year? Before this year wraps up, let's spend some time with him. Thank you for tuning in to the Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of AV Creek Christian Fellowship in West Lynn, Oregon. For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at apcreek.com.